So here we are, Exodus chapter 12. I'm going to start right into verse 28, because in verse 28, we're going to kind of talk about what we looked at in the first 27 verses. But notice there, it says, Then the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. So before we talk about what they did, which we'll recap verses 1 through 27, notice here it says, they went away, and before this, you can get from the context of just this verse, they were commanded. They were commanded to do something that the Lord had told Moses and Aaron to tell the people to do. And after they told them what the Lord would have them to do, they walked away, and it doesn't say they didn't do it, but instead it says they did it, which is incredibly important. Because as we've been in James on Sunday morning, it wasn't long ago where we read there were called not just to be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. We got to remember that. It's easy to come into a place where, you know, you're just into Bible study, where you're just into accumulating knowledge. I think oftentimes, especially in a, in a, in a church that teaches God's word verse by verse and is really just trying to be studious and rightly divide the scriptures and so forth, it's easy for people to start thinking, that's Christianity, I just study the Bible. And absolutely, that's part of Christianity, to be a people of the Word, to be a people who are studying God's Word in context, but we're to call, go out and act on the Word and do what the Word's calling us to do because we don't want to fall into a place of thinking Christianity is just about studying the Bible, it's about going out and applying the Bible going out and acting on what the Lord has called us to do. And so even tonight, if you have you know, been studious, I commend you in that, but I ask the question, are you going out and are you making application? The Lord hasn't called us just to be a people who spend you know, 16 hours a day in a study and then we go sleep for eight hours. He wants us to go out and interact and take the gospel out to those around us. So they went away and they did, and then notice what it says next, they did, and I love this, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And remember, he brought them the word, so they're doing it just as the Lord had commanded them to do what they did, and we'll talk about what they did here in a second. Notice it doesn't say, and they went out and they did what he said, plus they added some other things to do. It doesn't say that. And it doesn't say they went out and did part of what he said to do, but then there were some things that they didn't do. No, they heard the word of God and they acted upon the word of God. They didn't add to the word of God. They didn't take away from the word of God. And it's so important that we find ourselves a people that don't add to the word of God or take away from the word of God as well. And unfortunately, listen, since the beginning, Men have been adding and taking away from the Word of God. Remember Eve when she was tempted in the garden? She added to the Word of God. Remember she said, oh, we can't eat that fruit and we can't touch it either. Well, wait a minute. God never said you can't touch it. He said not to eat of it. Though not touching it was probably a good step because if it's in your hands, you might eat it. But he never said that. And then, of course, Satan came and began to attack the Word of God, you know, uh, adding to it as well, distorting it. If you eat of it, you won't die, you'll be like God, and so forth. 
And throughout the scripture, it's important that we know there are multiple exhortations that we are given not to add to the scriptures and not to take away from the scriptures. Proverbs 35, every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. And then it says, do not add to his words lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. And I think especially in areas of the gospel, we talk about this often, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus according to the scriptures. And that's the only thing that saves us. And yet today it's very popular and unfortunately, again, it's been this way for a long time because of the pride of man to say it's faith in Jesus plus these things that we need to do to atone for our sins. Now again, to really put faith in Jesus, it means we're asking him to be the Lord of our life and there has to be a real faith there. But when people start adding to their salvation and things that they need to do, you're adding to the word of God. And not only will there be a rebuke there, you'll be found a liar. It's peddling a false gospel, which will damn souls. Because if you go under the law, if it's Jesus plus the law, the Bible says that you have to keep the entirety of the law. And there's only one person that ever did that. And his name's Jesus Christ. Also, you know what, and there's a lot of this today, people taking God's word and really adding to it through personal revelation and experience that contradicts the scriptures. And there's a lot of individuals running around and groups and so forth that even on a, light, light, a night like tonight when they would come gather together instead of opening the word of God and saying, listen, God's given us 66 books, he's spoken to us. Let's open the Word of God and see what He has to say. Instead, they kind of want to whip everyone up into an emotional frenzy. And who has a word here? Now, absolutely, there's a place where the Holy Spirit can give someone a word. And that word absolutely needs to line up with the Scriptures and not contradict it. But unfortunately, there's a lot of individuals that are less interested in what God's Word has to say. And instead want some extracurricular revelation, so to speak, which really starts falling into Gnosticism of, we want to know something that not everyone else knows. we got to be careful in that. And then again, absolutely, we can't take away. We want to honor God's word just as it is written. But there's also temptation to take away from God's word. There's a lot of people, they read the Bible and they don't like certain things that are said, so they just say, you know, we're just going to take this out and we're going to ignore this over here. Listen to Revelation twenty-two eighteen. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, from the things which are written in this book. These are heavy exhortations here. It's not a light thing to add to the word of God or take away from the word of God. And just as there are always individuals that want to add to the gospel message by mixing man in there, saying it's Jesus plus what I need to do, making themselves a co-redeemer, deifying themselves, there's also individuals that will take the word of God and they'll begin to take away from that gospel message. There's churches, which they're not churches, there's groups of people that get, in, get together even in our own town. There's, there's a handful of these types of groups they call themselves a church. They don't believe Jesus rose from the grave. So what's the point of even getting together is my question. 
Because Paul said if Jesus didn't resurrect, we're a bunch of fools who should be pitied, but they don't believe Jesus rose from the grave. Well, you talk about taking away from the Word of God. The Word of God itself, the historical record. You know, these men who, before Jesus was crucified, ran like cowards after he rose from the grave, all basically ended up being martyrs for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's so important. We don't add to his word. We don't take away from his word. We take God's word that is written, and then by his grace and mercy, through the power of the Spirit of God, we go out and we act on the word of God as it is written. Can we say amen to that? So they went and they did just as the Lord had commanded. And what did the Lord tell them to do? We just kind of talked about it in communion. Remember, they had been in bondage. They'd been there in Egypt for 430 years at this point. They'd been in bondage and oppressed by the Egyptians around 400 of those years. Probably started about 30 years in. We'll see in our text here in a little bit. And they'd come to a place where it was time for them to be delivered from that bondage that they, they were under. And God was dealing with Egypt and the rebellion against him and the worship of false gods and the fact that Pharaoh would not honor God and letting the children of Israel go. And so the Lord used the Passover to deliver them and also, again, to paint us a picture of Jesus Christ who would come and die on the cross for our sins. And he told each of them to take a lamb for themselves. And if a household was too small to eat that entirety of the lamb, then they were to come together, but it was still a lamb for themselves, to have it in their home for four days, to take it then and kill it, and take its blood, mix it with hyssop, and to put it on their doorpost and the lintel. And it was an acknowledgement that they were sinners, and they needed a substitution for them. They needed someone else without blemish, without spot, to lay down their life for them so that their sin could be covered. Remember, it was a lamb without blemish that they were to take. And then they were to take that lamb, and they were to roast it and to eat it in haste with expectation that the Lord was going to come. And if the blood was over their doorposts, all in that home would live. But any home that wanted to reject the gospel-saving message that they were given, the firstborn in that home would die. And we'll read here that they went and they did just as the Lord had commanded them to do. And you don't want to botch that, right? The firstborn is going to die, but here's the command of the Lord. Take that lamb on the 10th day. Have it in your house to the 14th day. Take that lamb. Again, kill that lamb. Don't break the bones of the lamb. Roast the lamb. Eat it in haste. Put its blood over your doorpost. Don't have anything leavened and be ready to go. Those are instructions that you want to follow. And absolutely, it says that they did. What a glorious thing. It's just like us. Listen. There's instruction we want to follow. Acknowledge that we're sinners. We can't save ourselves. Acknowledge God sent his son, that he died on the cross, that he rose again from the grave for my sins, and then I repent, which means I turn from whatever I'm following, what I'm putting my faith in, to put my trust in Jesus Christ, to be my Lord and Savior, to be my God. That's the gospel message. That's important instruction that we don't want to add to or take away from that's a life and death situation there. Now, verse 29, it says, And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And so again, listen, 
this judgment that was going to come had been put out for a while now. Probably for at least 14 days, maybe longer. Because remember, it started at where, where the Lord had told him, this is going to be the first month of the year for you, the month of Nisan. And he said, on the 10th day, you take the lamb. On the fourth day, you, you know what, sacrifice the lamb. So this, this, this had been out there for a while. And no doubt, it got out to the Egyptians of what was going to happen. And you know what, probably when it went forth, it seemed far off. And then maybe even on the day that this was going to take place at 10 a.m., you know what, is it going to happen or not? 2 p.m., 8 a.m., seem maybe still far off. Others probably thinking, well, we know others thinking Egyptians for sure it won't come. But absolutely, it came, didn't it? And it came at midnight. And it was time for the Lord to come and either pass over or bring judgment you better, better believe it happened as the Lord pre-appointed it to happen. But obviously, again, the Egyptians took it lightly, and it probably seemed like something that, you know what, in their mind, they couldn't see that actually happening. How's the firstborn in every household going to die? We can understand how frogs can get everything and lice and all these other plagues, but just the firstborn die, surely that won't happen, and yet, absolutely, it happened. And again, we just talked about the salvation message through faith in Jesus Christ, the way we get delivered from the judgment of our sin. But listen, there's a lot of people that shun that because they don't think they're ever going to be judged. And they think when they are judged, it's going to be judged according to their own standard. That, hey, I'm a good guy, so you know what? God knows I do more good things than bad things, so surely I don't have anything to worry about. Well, listen, God doesn't use that immoral standard. God uses the standard of utter perfection. He's not bringing any sin into his kingdom because sin brings death. And so there is a, absolutely, again, a judgment that is coming. And we want to make sure that we are people that are mindful of that. And I'm not going to read the text, but if you read 2 Peter 3, it talks about individuals mocking the coming of the Lord because they're not mindful of the word of God. And they willfully forget they choose to willfully forget the fact that there is judgment that is coming, and then we're encouraged not to be such a people. That the Lord's not slack concerning his return. That with the Lord a day is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. So we want to be a people again that understand there's going to be a judgment. We're going to give an account for our lives, and this world's going to be judged because, again, it seems far off or like something that won't happen if we just look at it through our natural thinking because. Those in first and second Peter three that mock, they say things are as they've always been, which isn't the case because it says they willfully, for, willfully forget that God destroyed the earth before with a flood, and He says He's going to do it a second time with fire. And so let's be a people that are mindful because I think that that's something that absolutely is there to stimulate and stir our walk with the Lord to have an eternal perspective to understand there's people around us that they need to hear the gospel. And again, as the Lord came there at midnight, we know that in 1 Thessalonians 5, his coming is compared to a thief in the night. And it talks about the world slumbering, but absolutely it tells us not to be found asleep, but to be watchful and to be sober. And let me ask you tonight, when it comes to the coming of the Lord for his church, when it comes to the fact that, again, 
life's short, it's a vapor. Are you being watchful? Are you being sober-minded? Or have you just got caught up with the cares of the world and these things just seem so far off and so distant that you're not mindful of them? I'd encourage you, if that's the case, sober your heart up tonight. Be mindful tonight. Get back to, again, the instruction of the Lord. He says to be watching. We want to do as he commanded. He said, be watching for my return. Be looking. Day in and day out. He's told that to every generation. Also, one more note note here. Notice here that the Lord struck all the firstborn of the land of Egypt. Notice what it says. For the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of the livestock. There was absolutely no partiality with God. And this was a real wake-up call to the Egyptians because Pharaoh was considered a god. But there was no partiality. From the throne to the dungeon, even the livestock, you know. And again, you know what? With Israel, they were to give their first fruits to the Lord. God always gets paid. Listen, the book's always balanced with the Lord. He says, if you're not going to give it, then I'm going to take it. So zero partiality when it comes to judgment. There was only one way, again, to be above that judgment, and it was by grace through faith. And listen, there's only one way to be above the law today, and that's to be seated with Christ Jesus. Other than that, you're under the law. The law will find you guilty. But if you're seated with Christ, your faith is in him, then you're in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again will be passed over from that judgment of eternal damnation or the second hell because God's standard has been satisfied in Jesus, a sinless life. Verse 30, so Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. And again, this was a pagan nation that paid a great price. Why? Because they chose to rebel against God. And some people just go straight to here. They go straight to, you know, at the death of the firstborn, and they shake their fist at God. And it's like, wait a minute, slow your roll if that's where you're at. Because again, God gave man life in the beginning, and man was the one that said, I will be my own God. I don't need you. After God warned man, death would come. And then even up to this point in history, God had sustained, you know what, mankind for this nation to be birthed. They'd have the witness through even Joseph and the Israelites for 430 years. And then even in this coming judgment, again, with all those plagues that came, we don't read about loss of life. We we didn't read about that in any of those plagues. We read about God warning them, God wanting to bring them to repentance. And yet they continue to harden their heart, and now there's a great cry Because they didn't want to heed the word of God. They did not want to humble their heart and bend knee to the Lord. They didn't want to exercise faith. They didn't want to acknowledge they were sinners. And they needed a savior. They needed the blood, the shed blood of a lamb without spot or without blemish. And so the nation paid a great price. Psalm 46, 6, the nations raged. The kingdoms were moved and he uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And let me ask you, is the Lord your refuge tonight? Then you need not fret. But we absolutely are living in a nation that has a lot of rebellion. A lot of people 
Again, they mock and scoff at the idea of giving account of life. They say, I've been doing this since I was born. Why should I worry about it? I don't need a Savior. I'm a good person. Or I don't believe there's a God, even though, again, everything around us shows us there is a God because everything around us has design, and science teaches us there's design. Guess what? There is a designer. That's observed science. We need to pray for our nation. 31. <clears throat> Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night, and he said, Rise, go out from my, from, from my people, you and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said, and take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. That's interesting. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. And so again, this is just as the Lord had said it would happen. Remember, he said there's going to be one more plague, and not only are they going to tell you to leave, they're going to drive you out, and he had told them, be ready to eat in haste, because you're going to be driven out in haste. That's why he didn't want leaven there, plus it represented sin, and he wanted them to eat, not to enjoy a meal, but to say, this is the Lord's Passover. This is about the Lord putting faith in him so that we can be out of here, and exactly as God said it would happen, it absolutely unfolded. What I find fascinating here in verse 32 Pharaoh, again, is driving them out and basically says, you know, be gone and then, and bless me also. And there's been several times, again, through the interaction with Moses where he's wanting the blessings of the Lord, but not at any point did he want to repent. And isn't that a picture of so many people? It's really a picture of, I, I think, anyone that doesn't name the name of Christ, and oftentimes even Christians practically can walk in that as well. I want to be blessed, but I don't want to repent. So in other words, Lord, I want you to come bless my agenda, but I don't want to acknowledge you and what you would have for me to do. It doesn't work that way. And yet there's a lot of nonsense today taught that, you know what? You can't do that. God wants to bless you. You don't need to repent. And indeed, he has blessed us despite us not repenting, which is the incredible thing, how merciful he is. All this rain we're getting, he says he sends it on the wicked and the righteous. And I'll tell you that mercy, though, there comes to a point where we have to give an account. And I can't tell you enough, listen, you want to walk in the fullness of the blessings of the Lord, then acknowledge your sin and ask the Lord to forgive you and turn from it. And if it's got a grip on you, then begin to ask the Lord to help you to turn from it. Be honest and real with them. Because this idea of, I don't want to repent, but bless me, Lord, it's not biblical. It's not sound. God doesn't negotiate. Sometimes we're into people, oh, me and God, we got our own deal. No, you and the God of your belly have your own deal. That's not the God of heaven. 31, oh, 34. <clears throat> well, and again, the Egyptians urged them to leave. You know, people start dying and everyone gets jittery. Okay, be gone. 34, so the people took their dough before it was leavened, having their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes and on their shoulders. And remember, we've talked much about this, that leaven throughout the scriptures is a picture of sin. 
And as the Lord was delivering them out of Egypt, and Egypt in the scriptures always, almost always a picture of the world, where of us before we came to Christ, they were delivered through the blood of a lamb. And again, God had called them into a land of milk and honey, which is walking in the spirit of God. Yet they were in the desert for a long time, and sometimes we're in the desert as well, because once we get saved, we don't want to obey them. But he had told them again to leave the leaven. And we talked about it. It's a picture of us. The Lord washes of our sin. We're saved by the blood of the Lamb. And now He wants us to leave the leaven or the sin that we were saved from behind. He's called us to walk newness, in newness of life. And yet, there are times when we have a bowl full of leaven, don't we? And we're working that dough and we're working the leaven in it. Anyone ever been there before? And we're even thinking, man, this is going to be a nice bread when it's popped in the oven, even though it's full of leaven or it's full of sin. He wanted them to leave that behind, though, because, again, it was a picture of sin, but also he didn't want them waiting for their bread to rise. He's already told them this. And there's a lesson here for us about sin. Listen, sin will weigh you down and sin will hold you back. It absolutely will. And yet the enemy of our soul, the world, and our flesh say it will do the exact opposite of that, and that's not true. Notice Hebrews 12, 1, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside, notice here, every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Every weight. He's talking about sin here. And he told them, I don't want you to be weighted down with leaven, waiting for it to rise. Make unleavened bread so that when it's time to leave, you leave. Because as soon as they got out there, they had to eat something. There wasn't an In-N-Out burger out there in the desert. I think Succoth is the first place that they went. And there wasn't a Denny's that was open 24 hours a day. When they took their livestock out to sacrifice to the Lord, they were going to eat that food. And they needed to eat that bread. And the Lord didn't want them weighed down. He wanted them ready to go. And again, sin will weigh us down. It absolutely will. It will hold us back. Thirty-five. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And we talked about this in chapter eleven. That this wasn't God telling the Israelites, "Look at you've been done wrong, so go and riot in the streets of Ramses. Go start breaking windows and." Get your new big screen TV and your new laptop and your new generation seven cell phone or whatever else. It wasn't that. It wasn't this social uprising because there's been an injustice. So we're going to go destroy the city and we're going to do it in the name of liberation theology and social justice, which unfortunately much of the church has gotten caught up in. They even take the word of God and they say, this is about God freeing oppressed people and it's a liberation so the oppressed people can now rise to the top. 
That's what the, the, that wasn't what this was. Again, this was God's economy working out because these people had actually worked. For 400 years without getting paid properly. And there's a big difference between someone who actually works and doesn't get paid properly. God's going to deal with their boss at some point or other. That's Old Testament, that's New Testament. So if you're a boss, you better be paying your employees properly. You're going to give an account before the Lord. And unfortunately, listen, I know a lot of Christian businessmen that trample their employees. That's wrong. But these men had worked. This wasn't people who don't work, who want to just go and say, this isn't fair, let's go destroy some stuff. That's what you get for the most part today. A lot of people even, what's ironic about it is they actually get paid to go do that. You know, over the weekend, the protest down in San Luis Obispo, do you know the Planned Parenthood side, they were busing them in and paying them $10 an hour in San Luis Obispo? It's not just George Soros doing that in Washington, D.C., paying $35 an hour. That's why they won't engage in conversation because they can't defend their position, which, again, when it comes to abortion and marriage and the things that matter, those positions are, are indefensible. You can't defend murder. These were people that worked. 1 Timothy 5.18, the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. The laborer is worthy of his wages. He said, you're leaving and you're going to leave with back pay. And that's why they had favor with the Egyptians because God said this is going to happen. When God says something's going to happen, guess what? It happens. 37. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth. Again, there's no Denny's or In-N-Out Burger there at the time. About 600,000 men on foot besides children. This is a lot. They had gone down with 70 people. It's 430 years later, and now there's 600,000 men. So you got to assume that means 600,000 women. And then remember... What really brought this all to the point of deliverance? The Egyptians were like, they're multiplying so fast, we can't keep up with them. If an enemy comes in, they're going to join them and overthrow us. They're more numerous than us. And yes, for a short time, they had been killing the male babies. But if you do the math here again, in those days especially, listen, the more children you had, it wasn't a thing of, oh, it costs too much money. It's like, if we have more children, we can make more money because they're going to work on the farm and whatnot. And so this 600,000 at the minimum, if you say men, women, if you put two kids for every, or a kid for every man or woman, you're at 2.4 million. But again, they were multiplying. It was going up. So you got to say there had to have been at least four kids you know, two for every man and two for every woman. So now you start getting up to four or five million people. You talk about an exodus. And what's amazing here, an incredible miracle that oftentimes people miss, is not only did every single one of them leave unscathed as they left Egypt, when they got out to the wilderness, remember they hardened their heart, they didn't have the faith to go into Canaan. And it would take 40 years to pass for them to go in. But God was so gracious and so good 
For 40 years, we read in Deuteronomy 8, 4, your garments did not wear out from you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. God provided for 5 million people, give or take a million, for 40 years in a desert. That's an amazing thing. Again, they didn't have Amazon. There wasn't a local super Walmart. They were surrounded by enemies. It was the desert, so they weren't by the Oroville Dam with more water than they knew what to do with. And he provided for them for 40 years. Why do we worry? They were delivered by the blood of a lamb, which was a foreshadow of the lamb, whom we've been delivered by. They were, had faith again in the shadow, knowing the substance would come. We have faith in the substance. Jesus has died and rose again. And he even told us, don't worry about tomorrow. I know what you need. So if he can provide for five million, listen, this is biblical history. This is in the history books as well in the world. They were provided for out there. He gave them manna. It means, what is it? Because they didn't even know what it was. They had livestock out there. There were times when they didn't have anything to drink. And the Lord would say, listen, speak to this rock and the water's going to come out. And we know that rock that was with them was Jesus Christ. So bring your need to the rock. Bring it to Jesus. And he said, I'll supply all your need according to my riches and glory. Incredible. Marvel at it. I mean, start thinking about what would be needed to sustain a city of 5 million people if all of a sudden everything was cut off. Again, what, 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 what would happen today if that happened? Probably more of those riots that we just talked about, right? Because the grocery store would be looted like that, and then what are we going to do? And with that, I want to uh, encourage you to pick up some uh, uh, food supplies there in the bookstore. You need to get, you know, your dried, frozen, uh, or your, your dry freeze uh, products, your grain, your rice, your beans. No, I'm just, just kidding with all that. So being really, that's kind of a, it's probably wise to do a little bit of that, but we're, we're not, we're not going to go there. So we'll prep our hearts, right? We'll prep our hearts. And then 38, a mixed multitude went out with them also, and flocks and herds, a great deal of livestock. And this is awesome, because now you're talking about individuals that weren't Israelites. But they're people, they saw this unfolded, and these are people that got saved. Because notice here, this is huge. They weren't just leaving saying, well, it's a get out of Egypt card, so I'm just going to sneak out and just kind of head. I'm going to blend in with the five million. But it says here, they went out and they brought flocks and herds with them. They didn't just leave to leave. They went out to sacrifice unto the Lord and worship God. That's a glorious thing. And what do we see once again? There was no partiality with the judgment of God from Pharaoh and his firstborn, to the man in the dungeon and his firstborn, and there was no partiality with God with salvation. Whoever, whoever, whoever so will may come, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, and whoever rejects the Lord, they're under his judgment. Doesn't matter if you're a king, a president, a pharaoh, you're under his judgment. 
And it doesn't matter if you're a maidservant or a servant. If you call on the Lord, he's going to save you. And he wants to fill you and baptize you with his Holy Spirit. We read that in the book of Acts. 39, and they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they had brought out of Egypt. For it was not leavened because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait. Nor had they prepared provision for themselves. So again, they went out in haste. We talked about it. It was a picture of leaving sin behind. It was a picture of being able to get out in Sukkoth and have a meal. Verse 40. Now the, sojourner, now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of 430 years, on that very same day it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. And it's interesting, in Acts 15, 12, the Lord had told Abraham that his people would end up in a foreign land, and in verse 13 it says they would be afflicted for 400 years. So it seems that Joseph, we go back to Genesis, again, ended up there in Egypt, and then it was, you know, about 25 years later or so that his family would join him, Israel would end up in Egypt, and if we do the math, it seems for about 30 years, they weren't oppressed. For 30 years, they were celebrated. Egypt understood the Lord had used this Hebrew man not only to save their nation, but to make their nation a superpower. And then 30 years went by, and they began to oppress them. And that began to get more and more and more. It came to the point where they were killing their firstborn, or they were killing all of their males. And so we see a prophecy that was given was fulfilled. And with that, the Lord wanted them to go out and to worship him in a solemn observance. He wanted, to worship, they, he wanted them to worship him in a humble way, in a very God-centered way. And it's interesting, when we talk about worship, in Corinthians it talks about 1 Corinthians 14, 40, let all things be done decently in order. Our worship services should be God-centered. They should sit around worshiping God, praying to God, opening the Word of God, studying the Word of God. It's interesting, though, because it wouldn't be soon after this that Moses would go up Mount Sinai to get revelation from the Lord to bring to them, and they would say, what happened to that Moses fellow? Like, we don't know. I guess he's gone now. Well, what are we going to do? And Aaron would say, well, you know what? Give me all your gold earrings, all that stuff you got from those Egyptians, and I'll, carve, I'll, I'll craft you a golden calf so that we can worship it and we'll call it the Lord. And they said, hey, listen. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. There had to be someone that said, oh, my goodness, what's going on here? And they go and they do it. Aaron handcrafts it later on. He said, it just popped out. Liar. I don't know. I put it in. This thing just, it just popped out. So they go and they fashion this. They form it. And it says they began to worship it. And in Exodus 32, 6, it says they rose up early the next day, offered burnt offerings, 
and brought peace offerings and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play and it was a man-centered feast that went on where they ignored God's word and it was all about them having some experiential out of order you know man-centered man gospel which was not the gospel ordeal here very different from the solemn observance of what the Lord had done for them. And it's not to say again that we can't have joy in worshiping the Lord. There's great joy in worshiping the Lord, but let's make sure our worship centers around the Lord and is being done according to the word of the Lord, not adding to it or taking away from it. Can't go wrong with that. Now quickly here, we'll finish this out, 43. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, <clears throat> this is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it, but every man's servant who has bought for money when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. A sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside of the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. We covered that earlier in the, in the last few studies. And all the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover of the Lord, let his males be circumcised, <clears throat> then let them come near and keep it. And he shall be as a native of the land, for no uncircumcised person <clears throat> shall eat it. One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. So again, to eat of the Passover, they had to have faith. The Lord wanted this to be separate. The Bible does not teach universalism. Come all, you know, and just partake as you are. They needed to be circumcised, and the circumcision was evidence that they had faith. That was evidence of Abraham faith. Abraham believed it was accounted to him as righteousness, yet it was seen in his circumcision. And so the Passover was for believers. And guess what? The communion, when we celebrate the Lord as our Passover, it's for believers. People who've been circumcised in heart. Because we put our faith in Christ, we're a new creation. Old things have passed away. And so you see all these things just perfectly. That, that is the shadow. Jesus is the substance. And then finally, verse 50, thus all the children of Israel did. <clears throat> As the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And so again, we see that emphasis they responded to the word of God as it was put forth. And it came to pass on the very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to the armies. And so that very day that they responded in faith and put their trust in the blood of that lamb, that very same day they were brought out of Egypt. And that's another picture again of the gospel. The Bible says whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't say We'll call on the name of the Lord and God will get back to you in two weeks and we'll see what happens. Again, the thief on the cross, he said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Because the moment someone genuinely humbles their heart, acknowledges their sin, and in truth calls out on Jesus Christ to be the Lord of their life, they, enter, they go from a place of, of being accountable for their sin under their law to being in a place of now being under the blood of Jesus Christ, under the grace of God, and their salvation has been bought, purchased, and paid for. They're a new creation because now they are in Jesus Christ. And it's just another picture that salvation is found in Him and Him alone. The day you called on Him, 
You were saved. And you've been as saved, you're as saved today as you were then. And again, you'll be as saved as you were then and today as you will be tomorrow. It's finished in Him. Now we want to grow in Him and we want to bear fruit. But listen, when you call on Him, you're saved. It's finished. That's the only thing that can save you is being hidden in Jesus Christ. And tonight, if you haven't called on Him, today's the day of salvation. Because listen, back then, judgment came at midnight. I don't know what's going to happen at midnight tonight. I don't even know if we'll have midnight tonight, and neither do you. But I know this. The moment you call upon the Lord in truth, He's going to wash you and save you and cleanse you. And I hope we all have, but if you haven't, listen, that's the gospel message of Jesus Christ, and He will meet you where you are at. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for the scriptures. For the truth in them, we thank you, Jesus, that indeed you are the Lamb of God who has taken away the sins of the world. And what a wonderful place to be found with faith in you. I pray we could abound in that faith, God. I pray, Lord, that we would get the leaven out of our bowls, Lord, with your help. The psalmist said he has hidden the word of God in his heart that he wants to sin against you. So, Lord, take the word we've even looked at tonight, hide it in our heart. Strengthen us with your spirit and let us leave here, Lord, rejoicing you with our eyes on you, God. And Lord, absolutely taking the gospel out to this world around us. So bless the rest of our evening and our fellowship here tonight. We ask and pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.